Well, thank you, worship team. Um, if, if you guys are, uh, have any of you guys um, ever given a, somebody a, a, like a, a character reference, a letter of reference? You guys know what that is, right? Like, um, you know, when, when somebody comes and says, hey, I'm trying to get this job or this apartment or whatever, can you, can you write a, a letter of reference uh, for me? Or, um, if you've ever done that, you know that the general idea here is that, is that you're, you're putting it down on the paper or something, you're, uh, you're vouching for someone else, right? They're somebody who's cre- whose credibility might not necessarily be fully established yet. And you know, as we've gone through this, this series in Jonah, this is the fourth and final week of this, of this sermon series. As we've gone through this, I kind of look at, 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 at the story of Jonah in that same kind of, a, kind of a light, right? Obviously, without modern technology um, that we use these days that we, that we kind of, we count on to corroborate fact, the story of Jonah you know, obviously, there's no pictures of, of him with this this uh, creature, this fish that spit him out, or or anything like that. There's no pictures, no no physical evidence that you can hold in your hand. Um, but I would contend that the rest of the Bible kind of serves um, as the letter of reference for this story. See, there is ample physical and, and recorded, even archaeological evidence of the veracity of these larger-than-life stories that we see in the Bible, throughout the Bible, right? There are, um, there are thousands upon thousands of these burned sulfur balls and a consistent layer of, of, of ash um, under, under the, the ground that can still, to this day, be dug up in what's believed to be ancient Sodom and Gomorrah. And these spears in the city of Gath, which was the, uh, the historical home of, of Goliath, the giant, right? They found these spears, and this, this one here all the way to the right is 26 inches long. Now, this is probably more like the, the average spear tip that a man in that time would use. It was about six to seven inches long. But this one they found is 26 inches long. On Tuesday, some of the youth that just left, we're, we're going to take them up into the canyon up here, and we're going to go up there and, and find some uh, ocean creature fossils at 5,000 feet above sea level. I've taken my kids up there several times to, to do this. And in 1947, the discovery of the Dead Sea Scrolls demonstrated the historical accuracy with which the Bible has been transmitted. In fact, there are almost 5,000 more New Testament Greek manuscripts than there are for any other ancient writing. And the accurate consistency of those New Testament manuscripts is at 99.5%. And that's all without the advantage of having the internet or the ability to copy and paste or, or email things, right? And in some cases, these, these manuscripts date back to within 100 years of the original writing. And that's just the, the Greek manuscripts, that, that number, of the 5,000. When you include, include some of the uh, other ancient language manuscripts of, of uh, the Bible, there are more than 24,000 of them that survived. And you guys know, um, of course, that's important because many of us have heard arguments regarding the accuracy of the, of the Bible brought into question. And those, uh, that, that's based on opinions formed before the Dead Sea Scrolls were found. 
But there's just so much physical evidence of the Bible. And even though the story of Jonah is loaded with miracles, it's, it's no fairy tale. Jonah was a real person. He, we know things about his, his genealogy. We know who his father was, uh, who, you know, who, what his lineage was. We know the, the city that he was from. Uh, that he was from. Um, he's referenced again in, in 2 Kings 14, and, and 2 Kings is a historical book of the Bible. It's not prophecy. It's not poetry. And even Jesus referred to Jonah as real. And in, in, in fact, if we contrast uh, Jesus' reference of Jonah with the parables that Jesus was, you know, one of the things that, we, that he's famous for, um, the farmer, the widow, the master, um, in those parables, Jesus never mentioned the name or, or the specific details of city or whatever that these, these stories took place in. So Jesus didn't treat the story of Jonah like a parable. He didn't treat it like a fairy tale. See, the thing is, a, a God who is powerful enough to speak the world into existence, a God who's power enough, powerful enough to control the seas and to soften the hearts of men is certainly powerful enough to keep Jonah alive in the belly of the fish. So when we take all of this into consideration and we see the character reference the rest of the Bible offers us, and we see that we can believe this incredible story that we read in this, in this short book, then I think it suggests that God had a reason for sharing this story with us, right? Now, as we've dug through the story of Jonah, the underlying point has been that the story of Jonah is about the God of miracles who's willing to let everyone off the hook for their sins. So, um, although there aren't just four miracles in, in this book, that's what we're going to look at today is four specific miracles of the book of Jonah. Now, um, although our minds probably immediately go to Jonah uh, being swallowed up by this, this fish, this great fish, and, and being in his belly for three days, um, that's not the only miracle of the story. So we're going to talk about some other ones. But I guess if we're going to talk about miracles, we should probably define what we're talking about. So Oxford Dictionary describes a, uh, or defines a miracle as a surprising and welcome event that is not explicable by natural or scientific laws and is therefore considered to be the work of a divine agency. Now, <clears throat> as we've seen in this series, though, um, it's probably safe to say that, that miracles aren't always welcome, right? The, being swallowed by a giant fish was probably not a welcome uh, thing for, for Jonah. He probably wasn't really happy about being swallowed, though it proved to be miraculous, right? Um, a lot of you guys, you know that in, in my life, my, you know, my, my little brother was recently in a, in a terrible crash. He had horrific injuries. Um, and, you know, this was two months ago, maybe. Um, horrific injuries. And there is, is no way that he should have survived that crash. But when we look at him and we see his recovery, we absolutely see miracles throughout. Now, we didn't welcome the, the situational aspect of this, but we definitely recognize God's work in my, in my brother's recovery. He's a living miracle right now as, that we are watching. So today, 
Let's look at these four miracles in the book of Jonah. Maybe. Maybe. There it is. First one is it's a miracle that this clicker worked. No, it's a miracle that, that God spoke to Jonah. Now this, you know, that God speaking to Jonah certainly can't be explained by natural or scientific laws. It is a miracle that God would want to speak to us and that he invites us to communicate with him. That is really something special, that we can actually have a conversation with God. Now, um, in Psalm 29, David refers to the, the voice of God as like thunder, right? He, he defines it, or he, uh, he describes it as being like thunder. And um, I was sharing with the, the, in the first message, I grew up in Manaway, and one of the things I used to love about living up there was when these summer thunderstorms would come in, and you'd hear that, that, that thunder, and it would just echo and roll around the valley. It was this deep, rumbling you know what that, I don't need to describe thunder, you know what it sounds like. But up there, it was just something more profound. You know, you, you could feel it, and it just kept going on and on. It was so powerful, and that's, that's how I sort of envision uh, or imagine the voice of, of God, um, how his, his audible voice would be like. But the thing is, anytime God speaks his word, it's powerful, he spoke the universe into existence. We read about that in, in Genesis 1, that he, he breathed out life. But, when, you know, in, in fact, in that, instant when, in, in that instant, when he spoke the universe into existence, he didn't just create the earth, but he carefully and meticulously laid out every single molecule, every atom, exactly where it is on every square inch of of every planet and star and moon and asteroid that's, that's in the universe. Even the speed and trajectory of each of those asteroids was ordered through the breathing of that word. And God tells us that his word is powerful in the book of Isaiah. In chapter 55, verse 11, it says, it's the same with my word. I send it out and it always produces fruit. It will accomplish all I, want to, all I want it to, and it will prosper everywhere I send it. <clears throat> now, maybe, you, maybe you're like me, and maybe you've at times sort of doubted your ability or, or uh, maybe felt like you didn't have the right words or weren't properly trained or qualified to evangelize to strangers or to help someone through a tough time in their life with biblical advice. But God tells us that his word always produces fruit. See, that's guaranteed. Now, we might, we might not necessarily recognize the fruit, but we can trust that it happens because God says that it's there. See, we experience a miracle every time we open his written word because he speaks to us through it. In the book of Hebrews, it says, For the word of God is alive and active, Sharper than any double-edged sword, it penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. So guys, if you want to experience more miracles in your life, I suggest that you get into the Word of God on a regular basis. You know, people always 
people often say, you know, God's not speaking to me. I, I don't hear anything from him. But that dusty Bible that we have sitting on the shelf at home is literally God's word for you. If you want to hear from God, crack open his word and read, and it'll speak to you. Our second miracle is this. It's a miracle that God controlled the storm. We know that he, he controlled the, the sea. He controlled the weather. If you weren't here with us in the, in the, the previous messages um, in this series, which, by the way, you can go back to um, alpinechurch.org and you can, you know, forward slash Jonah, and you can find all of these messages uh, there so you can get caught up. But if you weren't with us um, in, in the beginning of this series, when Jonah disobeyed what God had told him to do uh, and jumped on a boat and was headed in the opposite direction of where he was supposed to go, God sent a massive storm to engulf him and, and Jonah was, was uh, eventually thrown overboard. And in the book of Job, which is a, another one of the minor prophet books, God even sarcastically uh, puts Job in his place by, by telling him about this. He says, he says, can you shout to the clouds and make it rain? Can you make lightning appear and cause it to strike as you direct? Who gives intuition to the heart and instinct to the mind? <clears throat> Who is wise enough to count all the clouds? Who can tilt the water jars of heaven when the parched ground is dry. And then God further demonstrates his, his power um, by immediately halting the storm when Jonah is, is thrown overboard. And he discusses this idea um, also with Job. Uh, there still in Job 38, verse 8 through 11, he says, who kept the sea inside its boundaries as it burst from the womb? And as I clothed it with clouds and wrapped it in thick darkness, for I locked it behind barreled gates, limiting its shores, I said, this far and no farther will you come. Here your proud waves must stop. God is, com he, he, he is clearly explaining that he's in complete control of the weather. But the thing is, he's also demonstrating his care and orderliness too, right? It's not, he's not just... It's not just chaos. He's not just saying, oh, go, you know, storm, you know, blow wildly and then just kind of letting it go. No, he's got an end to it as well. He, he's not just letting it loose. He's explaining that he has a, a clear plan and that he exercises complete control over it. So that storm, this, this huge storm starting when he wants and stopping when he wants it to is, is definitely miraculous. But the real miracle here is the way that God used the storm to bring about the change that he wanted in Jonah. Now this, this you know, bringing this storm about, this was not like the, um, this wasn't like the, uh, the, the, the greatest accomplishment that God could ever do. This is just what he chose to do in that particular moment. He's so powerful that this is just a way that he uses to, to get our attention. Like you might snap at your kids to get them to, to pay attention to you, right? And it may have been a, it may have been a preferred method that, that God liked to use because we know that he also calmed the storm instantly in the New Testament as well. When, when Jesus is on a boat with some of the disciples and he's sleeping and the storm kicks up and they're scared to death and they, and they awaken. We see that in, in Matthew 8 
Jesus said to them, why are you afraid, you men of little faith? Then he got up and rebuked the winds and sea, and it became perfectly calm. The men were amazed and said, what kind of a man is this that even the winds and the sea obey him? Well, that brings us to our third miracle, which is that it's a miracle that God provided the, the, the fish to swallow Jonah. Now, in, throughout the Bible, uh, God demonstrates his control over animals in, in multiple stories, right? We, we've seen... Um, we've seen Balaam's talking donkey, right, in Numbers 22. There was the ram that was... Um, that, that appears suddenly caught in a thicket that Abraham used to sacrifice instead of Isaac in Genesis 22. And the fish that, that Jesus tells Peter to, to, to get that has the coins in its mouth in Matthew 17. But God discusses this dynamic with Job as well. In Job 39, he says, Is it your wisdom that makes the hawk soar and spread its wings toward the south? Is it at your command that the eagle rises to the heights to make its nest? But see, guys, it's not just the control of the animals that's miraculous here. It's the fact that, it's the fact that God sent this, this giant fish not as the punishment, but as the solution to Jonah's problem. Remember, the fact was, right before this, Jonah had, was in the storm, and he had just gotten thrown overboard, Right? He, I mean, murdered, right? He had just gotten thrown overboard by these other sailors as a, as a sacrifice. So he was in this hurricane drowning, right? That, but the giant fish that swallowed him actually served as, as the, the, the method of rescue for him. It wasn't a, a curse. It wasn't the punishment. That was the way that God was rescuing him. And this is the case for so many of us. God chooses to answer our needs in a way that seems like it's making our situation much worse. But guys, that's because we're not good at empathizing with God. It's our, our human nature, it, it, you know, the DNA level, it's at our very nature to see things our way, to see them from our perspective only. We have to learn to simply trust him. We can get ourselves so tied up in knots while we're trying to figure out how to get out of this, out of this situation, um, this mess that we're in. But our worry doesn't do anything good for us, right? We saw this, um, this preview to the sermon series coming up about called Anxious, right? That's that same idea that, you know, we're going to, we're gonna, I promise you, we're going to talk about in this sermon series is that our worry and our anxiety doesn't do any good for us. The fact is, we can't fully grasp the how and why of what God does. We can't understand his ways, right? We can't understand his, his generosity or his, or his mercy or his grace. And that brings us to our fourth miracle, which is it's a miracle that the fish couldn't contain Jonah. God keeps Jonah alive in this fish. Now, you know, some, some people have argued that it isn't possible for a human to stay alive in the belly of a fish for three days. 
I agree with that, right? It's not possible. If it was possible, it wouldn't be a miracle. But like I said before, a God who can speak the world into existence, a God who can control the seas, a God who controls animals, is certainly capable of miraculously keeping Jonah alive. Some scholars think that Jonah actually died when he was swallowed by the fish. And, and I don't have any way of knowing that. I don't, I don't know. Maybe he did die. I don't know. But what I do know is that in Jonah 2.10, it says, Then the Lord commanded the fish, and it vomited Jonah up onto dry land. And Jonah was then alive, right? He either stayed alive in the fish, or he died in the fish and was vomited out alive. But either way, he was alive when he came out of, out of this fish. But I want to point out that, that the Hebrew word, that the translation of the Hebrew word here is, is utter. God simply uttered the command, and this creature, this seaborn creature, whatever it is, vomits Jonah out onto dry land. Like, think about how unnatural that is for a fish or whatever it is to be on dry land and be able to vomit him out. That's how much this animal went against its nature to go do it, what it knows it will kill it or something like that to, to get up there. He has to expel Jonah. You know, he, he, God's commanding it. So he has to do it. The, this animal has to do it. Bottom line is the animal had no choice here. It couldn't have held on to Jonah if it wanted to. Unlike humans, animals in nature don't have free will. This, this miracle demonstrates the greatness of God that nature must obey its creator. And in fact, this, this miracle here points to an even greater miracle in the New Testament. In Matthew 12, verse 38, it says, Then some of the, this is Jesus walking down the road, and these, these religious leaders uh, come up to him and, and confront him. And they, uh, it says, Then some of the scribes and Pharisees said to him, Teacher, we want to see a sign from you. But he answered and said to them, <clears throat> An evil and adulterous generation craves for a sign, and yet no sign will be given to it but the sign of Jonah, the prophet. For just as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the sea monster, so will the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. So what's that mean, the, the, the sign of Jonah? Well, in this sermon series here, Jesus, or excuse me, Jonah brought a, a message of repentance that, that God used to show mercy on the Ninevites, a pagan Gentile city. And Jesus brought the message that both Jew and Gentile can receive mercy through his death and, and his resurrection from being uh, crucified on the cross. So when I say that the story of Jonah is about a God of miracles who's willing to let us off of the hook for our sins. That doesn't mean that God uh, just excused them or turned a, a blind eye to them. The fact is, he poured his wrath out on Jesus so that you and I could experience mercy. Jonah was sacrificed into the sea for the salvation of the sailors. Jesus was sacrificed on the cross for our salvation. Jonah was thrown into the fury of God's storm, but Jesus was thrown into the fury of God's wrath. The sign of Jonah that it references here 
explains that the original story of Jonah was a foreshadowing of Jesus' crucifixion on the, on the cross. And just like in the story of Jonah, God still speaks to draw us to repentance. See, the, the people of, of Nineveh repented, right? This terrible city, this, the, the people of Nineveh, all of them repented. That's a miracle in itself. Now, according to what Jonah said about them and what we read in history, the Ninevites are probably the last people that you would have expected to repent. They were, they were known as the city of murder and lies. <clears throat> but it's God's kindness that led them to repentance. God's kindness leads us also to repentance. That is, that's the goal. But pointing out the warning of sin, you know, that was, that was kindness demonstrated to them, right? Because it didn't seem like that message that he, get, that he was carrying through the town, 40 days from now you're going to be destroyed, that doesn't seem very loving, right? But it was. That, that warning of sin was demonstration of, of kindness. And unfortunately, we've allowed ourselves to believe nowadays that the warning of sin is hate speech, or that it's judgmentalism. The king of Nineveh demonstrated uh, in chapter 3 that he had some knowledge of God, right? But it wasn't until he heard the warning of sin and death that he responded. It wasn't until he heard the warning of sin and death that he repented and, and told other people also to repent. Guys, we don't get mad and call our doctor hateful when he delivers the bad news of a serious medical condition. We understand that he's, he's giving us crucial information that will allow us then to treat the illness. And God lovingly warns us that we have a terminal sin illness so that we can receive the only treatment that can save us. And that treatment, of course, is Jesus. Jesus is is. God's son. He's fully God. He's fully man. And he was sent here to live a perfect life, life free of sin, something that none of us have done, something that none of us can do or no, human, no other human being has ever done. And then after living that perfect life, he gets found guilty by sinful men and he gets beaten and, and hung on that cross to die. And that whole thing happened as God's plan to reconcile with you. That was God's plan to reconcile with me. From Romans 2, 4 says, Don't you see how wonderfully kind and tolerant and patient God is with you? Does this mean nothing to you? Can't you see that his kindness is intended to turn you from your sin? That's the goal. He wants you, he wants you specifically, whoever you are in this room, I'm talking to you specifically. He wants you, he wants me to turn from our sinful life and follow him. Does this mean nothing to us? Without God softening our hearts, we would never repent. Without him drawing us, we would never seek him. I know that we like to think that maybe we've achieved a point in our life where we're 
where, where we are wise enough or maybe we're enlightened enough to start making some, some good decisions or whatever. But in reality, guys, we pursue God because he first pursued us. In Matthew 12, verse 41, it says, the men of Nineveh will stand up with this generation at judgment and will condemn it because they, re- they repented at the preaching of Jonah. And behold, something greater than Jonah is here. Jesus is saying the Ninevites are going to spend eternity with God based on their response to a message from Jonah. But you have me, he says. He's saying, what is your excuse? He's saying that to us. What is your excuse? Biggest miracle of them all, the one that lets us all off the hook for our sins. And what, what Jonah, uh, what the story of Jonah is really about is that repentance. Remember, what Jonah said in that verse. We've all through every week of this series, we've we've referenced this next verse right here in Jonah 4:2. Remember what he said in this verse. He says, I knew that you are a merciful and compassionate God, slow to get angry and filled with unfailing love. You are eager to turn back from destroying people. Guys, some of you are experiencing a miracle today. The God of the universe, the God who, who spoke life into existence is speaking to you today and he's offering you a way out and he's drawing you to himself. And his kindness is leading you to repentance. He wants you, he wants me, he wants all of us to turn from doing things our way and to start following him. But he won't force it. So you have to decide, how will you respond to this? You guys pray with me? Lord God, I, uh, I thank you for, for your, your direct message to us, this, this, this sin warning that we have, that we are, that we are sinful, that there is um, a, a terminal illness that each of us has. And that the only treatment we have, Lord, is to turn away from our ways and to follow you. Lord, I thank you that that message is clear. And yet, Lord, I know that there are people who, who maybe struggle with, the, with that idea. So, Lord, as we, as we leave here today, um, I ask that you would help us to, to, to continue to have this message speak to us. Let, us. let us be convicted in the places, Lord, where we need to change and help us to have this um, this this conversation with you where we, where we let go of, of our, our attempt at control and that we give it over to you, that we wouldn't be egotistical anymore, Lord, that we would, we would stop seeing ourselves as the answer and we would, we would recognize that you have always been the only answer for us. Lord, I hope that you are glorified through this message. I hope that you're glorified through the, the changes that we implement in our lives. But Lord, I ask you that you help us to have these conversations more, put people in our, in our path that will help us to have these conversations, to, to be able to recognize these points and to take them to heart. We love you, Lord. We thank you for your word and for speaking to us directly that we have the ability to have this relationship with you. And we say this in Jesus' name, amen.